the beginning of the Eser Makas, by Makas Dam, HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Meshur Abenu that Paroi's heart will be hardened, he will not want to send the people out. Lech el Paroi Babaykeh. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Meshur Abenu, go to Paroi in the morning. Hinei Yaitse Hamaima. He is going down to the waters. And by the banks of the Yar, by the banks of the Nile River, that's where you will be standing opposite him, and you'll be talking to him, and you will be telling him about uh, the fate of Mitzrayim if he refuses to release Klal Yisrael. Rashi says, He's going down to the water in the mornings. So why was he doing that? What was the point of Paroi going every morning to the Nile River? So Rashi tells us from Chazal, Linekavov. He went to the Nile River very simply every morning to relieve himself as a human being needs to. Shehaya Aymed Atzmai Aysa Atzmai Eleha Parai presented himself to his people as a god. A god does not need to go to the bathroom. A god does not need to have the human functions of a mere mortal. And so in order to keep this charade going, he would go clandestinely every morning to the Nile River, and that's where he would do his bodily functions. That's what he would be doing at the Nile River every morning before the crack of dawn when nobody thought that he was out. Everybody thought that he was still in the royal palace. That's when he did what he needed to do. Just Agav, I think that this is Marumas in the Pasuk. This part of Rashi is Marumas in the Pasuk. Where does Rashi see this from? So I think it says, He goes down to the water, and then it says later, Why does it have to have that double lotion? It might be that is a statement of fact of what's going on by Parai. is like he's relieving himself. He is the, the Mayim uh, uh, is coming out. That's the, uh, that was the function that Parai went down to the Svasayar for. In any event, it's a little strange that a few makas later, a few makas later, again, by makas Arav, HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Meshur Abeno, HaShkem Babaykeh V'Syatsev Lepnei Paray, Hine Yetzeh Amayma Nochamol. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, go to Paray. Guess where he is? He's on the waterfront. He's doing what he needs to do. And that's where you're going to tell him about what happens with makas Arav. It's a little strange. We already have this uh, revelation that Parai was doing what he was doing, Asfasiyar. Meshra Abenu, the first time, maybe went to him to show him that, okay, you know, I know what you are, I know what you're not. Don't think that you're some god. I'm very well aware that you're a mere mortal, and I'm coming here to tell you the word of God. That makes sense the first time. Why did he need to be sent again to Parai by Makas Arev a second time 
For what purpose? Why does he have to see him relieving himself at the crack of dawn a second time? This is the only two makas, by the way, that this was. It wasn't every single time. But why again does Moshe Rabbeinu have to go down to the Svasayar? This is a question that I saw asked in Lakaftas. He has an approach. I want to perhaps present another Mahalach and why this might be. Why did Moshe Rabbeinu need to be sent by the Rabbeinu Shalem to Parai Dafka when he was going al Svasayar to relieve himself at the Nilus? When it comes to being a leader, when a person wants to be a manig in any way, it could be a national leader, it could be a communal leader, it could be the leader of a family, any leader naturally has ups and downs in his life. There's no such thing as a king or a president or an emperor that has sunny days every single day Every leader has personal issues that they have to contend with. There are national issues. There's military uh, threats. There's economic threats. Things happen. Things are up and down in everybody's life, but specifically that of a manig. And what makes a manig the best manig possible is that no matter what the climate, no matter what the situation that threatens or that is posed to his nation or to his malucha, the manik always needs to stay optimistic and to stay confident as a public face, as a representative of the nation. He has to always be upbeat. He always has to be confident. He has to exude a certain positive energy for the people, for the world, for himself. It's very, very important that a leader always leads with confidence and optimism. If a leader has yish, if a leader feels sometimes that you know things aren't going so well and he starts getting into a rut, he starts getting depressed, what that does is it brings the entire ship down, the ship of state goes down with him he can't have a negative face when he's looking at, the, at his nation when people are looking at him he has to always be confident I remember when I was growing up as a, as a child um, the president of the country was Ronald Reagan and Ronald Reagan was an amazing president, he was really a you know, quite a, an unbelievable, I would say he's probably one of the, the greatest presidents in our country's history. Not because he was the most brilliant man in the room. He was an actor from Hollywood. He wasn't maybe the biggest chacham, although I'm sure he was very bright. They have uh, books of his writings, and you see he was taka chacham. He wasn't, he wasn't what they thought he was or what they painted him to be. He's quite an intellectual person. But putting that aside... The one Milo that he had was that he was always optimistic. He always was smiling. No matter what was happening in the country, he was always poised and in control. And you always looked to him and you felt like, wow, that's a great American. That's what an American is supposed to look like. 
He always had a great line. He was always dressed very well. He was always, his hair was always perfect. He always just exuded confidence. And that's what a manik should be, no matter what. There wasn't perfect times in his, he went through a lot of, uh, a lot of tsaris during his era, but he always triumphed. No matter what the threat was, whether it was the Cold War or whether it was, uh, other types of people that were, that were threatening, he always exuded a certain kind. There was never yish. There was never a feeling like he wasn't in control, that he was despondent, that he was running away from a problem. He was always able to take it on head first. If you go to a, an earlier time in, our, in, the, in world history, during World War II, if you read about Winston Churchill, also a great leader, the greatness of Churchill was that he always was confident. He would give constant like radio messages to his people, even though London was being bombed with a blitzkrieg every single day. There was more German bombers bombing London. And, and if you look at pictures of that Tufa, it was a churva, London, a beautiful city, but they were bombing out. The city, the great city of London was being bombed and people were naturally scared and they were in their bunkers and they were in their shelters and they didn't know what was going to be. They were afraid that the Germans were going to over, overtake them, just like they did France and many other parts of the world. But... It was Churchill's steadfast optimism that by all accounts saved the, the war effort for the West. And it wasn't that they had superior military might, but it was merely just the fact that he was always strong, he was always powerful. He never, if he was scared, he never showed it. There's a, a quote from him. Never give in. This is in the, in the height of the war. He says like this, he says, never give in. Never, 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 never. In nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force, never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. Don't look to the enemy and, get af- and be afraid. Always look to the enemy confidently, strongly. And that was a, a very important uh, role of a leader at all times in history. Meshach Rabbeinu, and this is not to in any way say anything bad about Meshach Rabbeinu, but these are psukim that are mefurashim, or chazal that are mefurashim that I'm speaking out, and I'm not exactly, I'm not looking in any which way to compare Meshra Rabbeinu to any of the leaders that I just mentioned, I'm just speaking about Meshra Rabbeinu as a manig in the early times of his, of his appointment. Meshra Rabbeinu was not a natural leader. This is born out in psukim and chazalin. Meshra Rabbeinu from the earliest time when he was threatened by Parai, when Parai found out about the fact that he killed the Mitzri, and he was born in base Parai, Meshur Abenu was, uh, was, he ran away. He ran to Midjan, that's where he ended up marrying his wife, Bechulei, but the fact of the matter is that Meshur Abenu ran. 
That's not a natural thing for a leader to do. A leader doesn't run. The Gemara says in Saita, Tchilas Nefila Nisa. If you run away, that's the beginning of the end. If you're Miyayish, you say, Power is after me, I've got to run away. That's not what a leader does. And when he had an encounter with the Rabbeinu Shalom by the Sneh, Meshach Rabbeinu was the, the most reluctant leader ever. He didn't want the Malucha, he didn't want, he says, maybe Aaron would be better. I'm not a kikvad perch, He tried to get out of it. He tried to avoid the leadership. He said, He didn't have the confidence in his people. He didn't have the confidence in himself. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted Moshe Rabbeinu to be a manig. And he wanted to give Moshe Rabbeinu, in my opinion, Shemosh and how to be mamluch and how to be a proper leader. How do you make a person that's not a natural leader, that's not interested in a leadership role, that's not a that that's an accidental leader? He didn't want it. He did not want the malucha. He wanted to give it to other people. He felt he was unworthy. He felt that he he was he was not equipped to be the leader. How do you make somebody like that a leader? And Akhrishparhu, I believe, wanted Mesha Abeno to look to somebody with these leadership qualities. And ironically, and it sounds like Fira maybe, but perhaps the greatest leader with these qualities was Pari. Pari had exceptional leadership skills. Whatever you want to say about him, we're not learning Midas from Parai, we're not learning Tzitkas from Parai, but as a pure leader, Parai was incredibly confident in his own abilities. If you go back already to Sefer Barashas, assuming that the Parai that was with Yosef was the same Parai that was in Mitzrayim with, with Meshra Abeno, which is Machlekes Rav and Shmuel in the Gemara and Saita, but let's assume for a minute that it was the same Parai. In Parshas Miketz, there's a Pasuk that says that Parai had these funny dreams about seven skinny cows eating up seven fat cows, seven skinny uh, sheaves of wheat eating up seven fat wheat. Very strange dreams about Tipayim Ruchai. Parai wakes up and he's all startled, he's all frightened. And Rav Schwab asks in a safer mind based shape, what was, what was so startling about the dream? We all have funny dreams at night. You never dream about anything crazy at night. All dreams have some, some funny, interesting, strange parts of the dream. But you don't go crazy. You don't start like making a whole you know, thing and, and getting advisors in and trying to find out. It's, nope, so it's a crazy dream. What difference does it make? Why, why was power so startled by this dream? And Rav Schwab basically says that Parai was very confident in who he was. Parai was a great leader. Parai was the head of a superpower. The last thing that Parai would have ever thought about during the day that would arouse a dream at night, as Chazal tell us that dreams come about through what you think about during the day. That's why the Gemara says you never think, you never dream about like a, a camel uh, flying through the eye of a needle, the Gemara says. You know why? Because he never thought about that during the day. That's not a, that's not a daytime conscious 
uh, thought, so therefore you don't dream, dream about that at night. You dream, dream at night about things that you may have thought about during the day, and that's very true. We always, if you think about, like, why did I dream, why did I think about this thing in, at night? Why did I dream about that? A lot of times, if you remember during the day, you had such a thought for some reason. You saw somebody, or you read something, and that triggered your subconscious to dream about something at night. Pare was so super confident in his powers as a melech that during the day he would never ever have thought about a weaker power overtaking him, which is what he understood that the dreams meant. The seven skinny cows overtaking seven fat cows. It's not shayach if it's not a real dream. If the dream was not a divine message to him about some rebellion happening in his melucha, it wouldn't, he would never have dreamt that because it never, ever dawned on him that anything bad would happen in his malucha. He was so confident in his strength and in his military and in his country that he never would dream about such a thing unless it was a nevuah. That's why Parai was so startled by this dream. This is what Rav Schwab says. You see that Parai was the great leader in the sense that he had super confidence in himself, in his abilities, in his powers, and in his nation. And that is what power symbolized. Power was a great, strong, powerful leader that didn't stop. He was never miyayish. He never gave in. He never let anybody think that he was afraid. This is the greatness of power. Later on, in the parsha, in in, in parsha's uh, boy rather, by Makas Bechayres, it says Vayihi. It was that night, and there was the night of Makas Bechayres. Power was warned this would happen. Every firstborn is going to die, and it says that Parah Vayakam, Parah Laila, Parah woke up, he heard the cries of the Bukharim, people were, were mourning in the streets, and Parah heard this in his palace. And he gets up, and he starts looking for Meshra Abenu, and Rashi points out, Vayakam Parah Laila, that he got up from his bed, he was sleeping. And the Kutzker said, how could a man like this sleep? His whole nation was threatened by a promise, Moshe was on, had a good winning streak. He had nine out of nine out of nine Makis that he predicted would happen happened. The tenth one, the most devastating one, Makis Bukharis, was supposed to happen. Power himself was a Bukhar. He wasn't afraid, he went to sleep. He was so confident in his own abilities and his own leadership and his own supremacy that he didn't even it never dawned on him that such a thing would happen. Do you know that Parai, Chazal tell us, what happened to Parai at the end of his life? When, when did Parai's life end? So I think everybody in the room, or most people would probably tell me, Parai drowned. In, in the end, by Kriyas Yamsov, it says that Parai, they were all they drowned. It, that was the end of Parai. But there are Chazal that says, on the Pasuk of Lanishar Bahem Ad Echad, there was one person that survived Kriyas Yamsuf, one Mitzri, and that was Pare. 
And in fact, there's a chazal, an amazing chazal, that when you go to Sefer Yaina, which we lay on Yom Kippur, and we see that there was a melech in Ninveh that listened to Yaina when Yaina came and gave him the nevuah and said, you have to do tshuva. He was the one that rallied the, the troops in his, in his country and said, okay, we got to do tshuva, and he led the country to tshuva. You know who that king was? Chazal say that king was Pare. Pare survived all the ten makis, Kriyas Yamsuf, and many hundreds of years, and he ends up in Ninveh. He's the Melech of Ninveh. Pari was a tremendous leader. Pari never gave up. Pari never gave up on himself. He never gave up on his country, on his dreams, on his vision, on his self-confidence. Pari stayed true to what he believed in, and he stayed the course. And that's what made him the great manik that he was. Here we have in this week's parsha, Parai goes through Dam. The entire water supply of Egypt, except for the Jewish water, turned into Dam. People must have been going crazy. Svardaya, you have frogs jumping all over you in every bed, in every pot, in every pan. You open up any drawer, there's frogs jumping out of you. Can you imagine what was going on? You have Kinim. People had lice infested all of a sudden a major lice infestation. I heard once from my Rebbe, Rabbi David Heksher, he has a Kabbalah. He had a Kabbalah from the Chavetz Chaim. That the Chavetz Chaim, when he was very old, he was, um, he hardly, he was, uh, you know, he was very serious, the Chavetz Chaim. He wasn't a person that started laughing. He wasn't that type of person. But all of a sudden, one day, it was this week's parasha, and he started all of a sudden laughing, and it was so not characteristic for him. So they asked him, what are you laughing about? So he said, you know, 90 years I've been learning the parsha, and I never actually visualized what it looked like to me. When Parai, let's say by Kinim, you know, what did it look like in the palace? He has, so he said, I pictured all of a sudden this year, I never did this before, but I pictured this year that Paro was sitting in a royal throne room and he was sitting chashev on his throne with his crown, with his kapata, with everything and all of his secretaries and his uh, memshala, all of his, uh, you know, all of his, uh, the Mishnah Melechs were around him, very chashev looking and all of a sudden somebody starts like scratching his head over here and the other one starts scratching over here and the whole place all of a sudden goes from a picture of like, you know, perfect formality and becomes all of a sudden like a, it becomes like a comedy. Everybody's scratching, everybody's going crazy. See, we don't think this is interesting because, you know, we're used to the, all the cartoons and all of the illustrations and all, in the old days they didn't have that. So this is a chiddish that you could actually think in your mind and animate something from a, from a Pasuk and Chumash and make it come alive. But that's what power was going through. Power was going through a lot. Dam, Tzvardeya, Kinim, this was just the beginning. He didn't see anything. And you would think that after all of this, after going through this first, the first tranche of Makkas, 
You would think that Pari at that point was already starting to get a little bit not so confident of his own abilities. You know, he's probably thinking to himself, like, like what, what am I doing? I'm going down, obviously there's a God in the world. This guy, Meshur Abeno, he has it pretty straight. My Khartoum can't touch what he's doing. He looks like a holy man. He's doing what he wants. Maybe I should just like throw in the towel, give it up, stop the charade of who I am and stop pretending that I'm somebody great. I'm not, I'm just a mere mortal. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to, to Meshur Abeno, Hashkeim Babaykar, I want you now, after Dam Kinim, now we're starting the next tranche, you think that it's going to be a new Parai. You think that Parai is going to now be humbled. He's going to be realistic. He's going to feel the mortality of life. No. Hashkem Babaykar, the Pasuk says, I'm a power is going to go back to the Mayim, he's going to go back to the Ar, he's going to do his Nekobov, he's going to take care of his bodily functions. And Meshur Abenu, I'm not doing it so you can embarrass him, you could torture him, that you can make him. I want you to see what a leader is. I want you to see that when you're a leader, when you're a Manig, Whatever happens, it could be the worst calamities in the world, but you have to maintain your dignity. You have to maintain your self-confidence, your optimism. Pari could have had every reason in the world. Oh, let's start using the regular bathrooms. Everybody knows the roost is up. Give it up. Understand. Be real. No. Pari still, after the three makas, he still goes down. He still holds himself chashev. He still hold himself, holds himself to the people as, an, as a god. He goes to the Yar, takes care of his business. HaKadosh Baruch Hu sends Meishu I need you to see this. This is something that you can learn from the enemy. Power might be the worst person in the world. He might be the Sitra Achra, which he was. But you could still learn from the Sitra Achra. You could still take lessons in leadership from him. Understand this is what you need to do. And Meshra Abeno Taka became a great manik. I'm not saying that he learned all of his chachmas from Parai, but you see that throughout the Arbaim Shana Bamidbar, you see in Mitzrayim and beyond, from every step of the way, there were so many challenges to Meshra Abeno. External challenges with Amalek, with Sichain, with Aig with the Laman Aleph Malachim, with all of the misayinim in the Midbar, the complainers, the Chet HaEgel, there was, there was no shortage of problems that Meshra Rabbeinu faced. Meshra Rabbeinu could have very easily ran, been miyayish, say, I am giving up, I can't do this anymore. And sometimes he told the Rabbi Nishlam that, I, I, you know, it's... Uh, I can't, it's hard. It was difficult. It was impossible for Meshur Rabbeinu. But Meshur Rabbeinu every single day continued to be the Manig Yisrael that Kla Yisrael needed during this Tukufa. That's what leadership is. Leadership is being able regardless of no matter what is going on in your personal life, in the country's life, 
in the in in good times and bad times, in war times and peace, a leader always has to be the face of a country, confident, face of a nation, being able to exude optimism about the future. How is this Nagaya our own personal lives? Very simple. Harai represented, as I said before, the Eight Sahara. There are many Chazal, there are many Svarim that speak about Harai being the embodiment of the Eight Sahara, of the Sitrachra, of the Satan. That's what Harai was. And the Eight Sahara that we have in our own life never ever dies. Every day it's goes to the Mayim, it goes, it does its Havayda every single day, it never stops, it never gives up. You might be the firmest guy in the room, and you might think that you have completely gotten rid of your Yitzhahara, but it's not true. The Yitzhahara is always there. The Yitzhahara every day is confident and optimistic and wakes up to do its Havayda. Interesting, there's a Vilna Gain that says that the Sahara and the Taiva of a person is constant throughout his entire life, but it changes in what its main goal is. Meaning, there's always the Sahara for a person throughout his life. A lot of times we think that as we get older, we have completely decimated our Sahara and now we're good to go. But it's interesting, the, the the Vilna Gain says that the Yetzahara sort of morphs himself into other disguises throughout a person's life. So whereas, let's say, in the early years of life, a person's taiva is taivas nashim, when a person is a teenager, when a person is a young adult, you know, there are studies about how much of a person's mayach is obsessed about, about that taiva, when a person gets to a certain age, it stops, or, or it, it should stop, or it gets much less. But that doesn't mean the Yitzhara is dead. The Yitzhara just now becomes a taiva of mammon. Now, you know, when you get a little bit older, maybe you're married, you have paspasala, so that maybe goes away, but now you want money. Now I want to I wanna get very rich, I want to you know, live a very you know, upscale lifestyle, Later on in life, when you have your money, then you don't have the Taivas Nashim anymore, you don't have Taivas Maman, then you have Taivas covered. Now I want people to acknowledge me, recognize me, I want to be able to be famous, I want people to, to take note of what a good person I am, so that's why maybe people want to be honored by dinners, they want to run for office, they want people to, they want cover. they want celebrity status. But it never dies. The Sahara never dies. It just changes. The Gemara says, Until they put the last clump of dirt over your body when you're buried, the Sahara is still very strong. The Sahara never, ever dies. And like Paray, who never stopped his mission in life, which was to be the leader that he was, to be confident, to be, to be godly in his own mind, 
That's what the Yitzhahara does. The Yitzhahara every single day is relentless. It doesn't stop. Every day you think that, okay, today is going to be a good day. All of a sudden, you know, you have a weakness to do something or to look at something. The Yitzhahara never stops. And as Meshur Abeno was told to observe the Yitzhahara and to learn from the Yitzhahara, from, to learn from Parai, we also have to look at the Yitzhahara and how he does his mission and learn from the Yitzhahara. There's nothing wrong with learning from your enemies. There's great, a great shot in that famous Chazal that Yaakov Inu says, I'm Lavan Garti, I live with Lavan. The Tarag Mitzvah Shamarti, and I kept the Tarag Mitzvahs. And I didn't learn from his actions. So they ask, What is that extra thing? And I didn't learn from him. Obviously, you did in Lovangarti. I kept my Tarag Mitzvah. Obviously, it sounds like you were perfect. So, what does that mean? I didn't learn from his actions. So they say that this is not a, a, a boast. Yaakovina wasn't boasting that I didn't learn from his actions. He was lamenting the fact that he didn't learn from his actions. There is a lot that I could have learned from Lavan. If I would have studied him, I would have learned how passionate he was about his rishas, about how he woke up every day and tried to scam people. and had a, He never stopped and he never tired. He loved his money. He loved his divas. He loved what he did. His mission in life was never, ever accomplished. He always was hungry. I could have learned a lot from Lavan. I kept Tarek Mitzvahs, but I didn't learn from his bad ways. It's always a good idea to learn from your enemies. Meshra Rabbeinu learned from Parai how to be a leader, how to not give up, how to not run away, how to not cower, how to look to his people and always have confidence in them and in himself. And we could look at the Eight Sahara and also learn a lot about ourselves and how to act. One of my favorite stories is uh, with Rav Shach. But I saw recently that the same exact story took place with the Chavetz Chaim. And the story goes like this. One morning, Rav Shach was eating breakfast with his family and he was very happy. He felt like very good that day. And the family says, is the Zayda, you know, the Zayda seemed very charged this morning. He seemed like in a good mood. Like, what happened? So I'll tell you. He says, last night I was up very late learning. I was learning very, very late. I had a great finish in the Rambam and I went to sleep like 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. And then my alarm went off, it was uh, 6.30, only got two and a half hours sleep, sleep, and I was about to get up and go to Minyan, go to Yeshiva, to Daven. And then the Eight Sahara came to me, this is Rav Shaf talking, the Eight Sahara came to me and says, Rav Lazer, says, what are you getting up for now? He says, you're an old man. You're 98 years old. You got to sleep at 3.30. You thought of that grape shot in the Rambam. You must be exhausted. An old man like you should be in a Meshav's Canaan. You should be in a nursing home drinking a Borscht. There's no, you shouldn't be you know, doing what you do. 
if you stay in bed now, it's cold out, it's nice and warm in bed. If you go to yeshiva, you're going to maybe catch a cold, you're going to be sick, your resistance is low, you didn't sleep enough. Stay in bed, nobody cares, nobody's expecting you to come to yeshiva every day. You're an old man. Daven by the kaiso, it's fine. And nobody, every, everybody's going to be fine with you. Don't, what, are, what are you getting up? So if Shach said, what he said sounded so good, I was going to turn over and go back to sleep for a couple of hours. He was right. He says, but then I thought about it and I thought of a Gemara that says that when does the Eight Sahara come into a person's body? The Eight Sahara Taiv comes, according to some, by a Bar Mitzvah. When does the Eight Sahara come into your body? The Eight Sahara comes into your body as soon as you come out of your mother's womb. That's what the Gemara says. As soon as you come into the world, that moment is when the Eight Sahara is inserted, is injected into a person and starts his mission right away. So if Shach said to the Eight Sahara, he said, what's your taina to me that I'm 98 years old and I don't have to do my Avaidah, I'm part of doing my Avaidah, I'm so old and feeble and frail and so just give it up. Just stay in bed. Rav Shach said, I looked at the eight Sahara in the eyes and I said, but you're exactly the same age as I am. We're twins. If I'm 98 years old, you're 98 years old. You were born the exact second that I was. Did that stop you from getting up this morning and doing your Avaidah trying to get me to stay in bed? You're still, Baruch Hashem, very, you know, gung-ho on doing your mission. You jumped up out of bed this morning to, to try to get me to stay in my bed. He says, I'm going to learn from you that it's possible at my old age to also get up and do my Avaidah. And so he says, I jumped out of bed, I got dressed, I ran to Yeshiva and I davened, and Baruch Hashem, I learned from my Yetzirah. We learned two things from this story. And again, if you look in the, in the Chavetz Chaim Sefer, Chavetz Chaim Al-Atayr, I'll show you that the same exact Misa, Mamish, the same exact Misa, the same quotes even, the same Masa Umatan was said about the Chavetz Chaim himself. And you learn a few things from this Misa. First of all, you learn that the Yetzar never stops. The Yitzhahar never ever stops. At 98 years old, you'd think of Shach was already potter from his Yitzhahara. He was already, could do victory laps. He's done. He was Rashiva Aponovich. He was the Gala Dar. He was the Baal Machaber of the Aviezri. He was the Baal Chesed of the Dar. He was the Manig of the Dar. He was the Tzaddik of the Dar. He's done. He's good. He, I, I think, you know, smart money would be on him being able to just sort of glide into, into Elam Abba at that point. And yet, Rav Shach himself had a Yetzar. So don't, by the way, be surprised if no matter how from we think we are, how good we're doing in Yeshiva, we have Taivas. That's a human thing. Don't think, oh gosh, I can't, how, everyone around me is such Sadiqim, and I have a Yetzar, a Chutzpah. Rav Shach had a Yetzar, then we, we're allowed to have a Yetzar also. Don't be 
despondent over the fact they have the Yetzirah. It's very normal. The Rabbi Nishan made us. He designed us with the Yetzirah. We have to try to put the Yetzirah down and to win battles against the Yetzirah. But don't be shocked that we have the Yetzirah. Doesn't, that's not a chisarin in us. That's a that, that means that we're human. It's a reality. And the second thing that you learn from the Maisa is that you have to learn from the Yetzirah. You have to look at the Yetzirah's playbook and learn what he's doing and try to copy it in a good way. If the Sahara is waking up in the morning, Hashkem Babaiker Vesyatsilufne Paray, the Sahara Paray is going down to the water in the morning, despite Dam Tsvardeya Kinim, despite all that the Mapala, the Za'aka, the Tsaras that Mitzrayim was now realizing. The busyness that Parry was probably having in front of himself, in front of his family, in front of his, in front of his malucha, that he can't control this Moshe Rabbeinu with all the, the makas that are befalling them. He can do nothing to stop. He's still going down every morning. He's doing his mission. He's going down. He's continuing his perception of himself as being a god. Going to the Ar, making sure that nobody ever has v'shalom thinks that he's human, that he's mortal. That's what a leader is. The Sahara himself, every single day, wakes up from the moment that we're, that the alarm goes off. And he says, he pushes the snooze button. And he says, don't go and do your Avaidah. You have to look at the Sahara and say, no, 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 I will do the Avaidah. I'm going to be as insistent, as relentless in doing my Avaidah as you are in doing yours. We have to learn how to be a leader. We're not yet maybe in the position to be leaders of our community, of a yeshiva, of a, of a company, whatever it is that we will do in our life in the future. Perhaps we're not there yet. But the greatest form of leadership is to learn from other people or from the Sahara that I don't want to stop. I'm not going to give in. I don't want to get depressed. I don't want to get into a rut and have yish. That's not what a leader does. A leader never is miyayish. In the worst of times, in the darkest times of history, the great leaders were the ones that stood up and said, this is what's going to be. And I will never, never, never give in. Never. There's a great letter from Rav Hutner to a Talmud that was depressed and he was nichshol in an in Avera in he doesn't say which Avera, it doesn't matter and he felt that he wasn't going to be a Gadol anymore he says that I wanted to be a Gadol I had ambitions of being a great person and now I was nichshol in Avera and woe is me, it's not going to happen and Rav Hutner brings a, a Pasuk Shlema Melech writes Sheva Yipal tzaddik v'kam. A tzaddik falls down seven times. V'kam. And he gets up. So, he says, Tipshim, foolish people, understand the pshat in this pasuk, meaning that a tzaddik, even though he fell down seven times, but he's, he still gets up. He still gets up. He trips seven times and he still gets up. 
Rav Shach says that's not the Pshat in the Pasuk. The Pshat in the Pasuk is that from the Nephilis that you have, that's where the Kima comes from. The Tzaddik's Kima, you know how the Tzaddik gets greater? It's because he was Nikshal, he had stumblings, but he got up. He learns from his errors, he learns from the battles that he lost, how to win the next battles. There's no such thing as a general that's un, that they never lost a battle. At West Point, where they study, um, and other military schools, where they study all, they're not studying Shver Rambams and Rashbas and Ritvas. What are they doing in these military academies? They're studying wars. They're studying battles of history. Some battles that were won, and some battles that were lost. And they probably learn a lot more lessons from the battles that were lost than the battles that were won. If you look at the uh, you know, coaches, and, and, and football coaches, basketball coaches, what do they do all day with their... What do they teach in the locker rooms? What are they doing the whole day? When they're not on the field in the winter, when they can't play, what are they doing? They're watching film. What does that mean they're watching film? They're looking at every play that happened last year with this team, this quarterback has this Mila, this Chisarin, their positions on the field is this way, we have to use this approach to get around them. You learn a lot from your Nephilus. You learn a lot more from the way that you lost than when you win. But you have to learn from the Sahara how smart the Sahara is. You learn from the enemy a lot more than, than you learn from yourself the enemy teaches you so much Pare could teach Moshe Rabbeinu certain things and Moshe Rabbeinu learned certain things from Pare which enabled him to have the ability to lead Klai Yisrael nothing is wasted nothing that the enemy does cannot be learned from and we have to learn from our Sahara how regardless of the losses that we may have had in our, in, our, in our lives. We all have Yetzirahists that we've lost to. We've all had battles that unfortunately we succumbed to and we're not proud of it. But you can learn a lot about yourself from those battles and you can ultimately win the war. There's a story that's told about Rav Shimshim Pincus was a Rav in Ofakim in Eretz Yisrael. He was an American-born Tamar Chacham Muvak and Isfarim are very famous, beautiful Tyra that he has. But he was a Rosh Shiva in Ofakim and there was a, uh, a Bachar on Rosh Hashanah who he found sitting out in the hallway and he looked very depressed. And he goes over to the Bachar, he says, Chaim, is everything okay? So the Bachar says, not really. He says, you know, the whole El, we were working on tshuva and, and trying to really build ourselves up, and I don't feel it. I feel like that, I feel a little depressed, I feel a little meyush, I'm giving up hope, I don't feel like I'm, I'm really uh, equipped for the Eim Hadin, and I don't know what to do about it. And so he's sitting in the hall with his head between his legs and, and just sulking. Erpinka said, I want to tell you a story. He says, during the Yom Kippur War, 
I was in Shari Tzedek Hospital because my daughter, she cut her finger or something and uh, he had to bring her to the emergency room. And when he was in the hospital, there was a big commotion ensuing. And I went to see what was going on. There was an Israeli chayal, a soldier who had a, uh, he was shot in the leg. By, by the Arabs and during the, you know, on the front lines of battle and he was sent to Shari Tzedek Hospital and the surgeon was able to remove the bullet from his leg and the doctor, the surgeon told the soldier, okay, you know, go home now, recuperate you know, take a couple of weeks off and obviously this would be very welcome news for most soldiers, you don't have to go back on the front line you don't have to put yourself in harm's way. You already got your purple heart, you know, from getting a wound in battle. Great, I can now go home. I'm safe. Baruch Hashem, I'm Yitzay. The soldier looks at the doctor. He says, are you crazy? He says, you think I'm going home now? He says, my friends, my, 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 my battalion is fighting Arabs right now. The entire fate of our country rides on their shoulders. You think I'm abandoning my friends now because I got, a, a, I got a, bull, a bullet in my leg? And he limped off of the bed and he says, I'm going back to the front lines to fight. I'm not giving in. And sure enough, that's what he did. And Pincus said that we can learn so much from that story. He says, it's true. We have, uh, we've been shot. We've been wounded. We have our own issues that we're dealing with in life. We have our taivas. We have our midas rais. We have our, the times that we were nuchshal and adiris that plague us and we, we feel guilt-ridden about those experiences. But it's not a time to sulk. This is wartime. In that base medrash, we're davening for our lives, not just personally, but communally, nationally, there's so much that hangs in the balance on Rosh Hashanah. He says, we need you in there. It's not a time to sulk. You have to dust yourself off and get back into battle. No one expects us to be perfect. If you think that you're going to be perfect, then you're wrong. That's not what human beings were designed to be. We're not designed to be perfect. We all have the Yitzhahara, but we have to learn from the Yitzhahara that regardless of how imperfect we are, we can't stop. We don't have the luxury of having down days, down months, down years of getting into this rut and into the, because that's the worst dates are possible. There are great Hasidish Rebbes that used to tell their Hasidim, it's different, there's different schools of thought about how to approach tshuva. Some say that you really have to like have real charata, real vidui, like real in-depth analysis of what you've done wrong and go back to every story, every episode they had this year. But there, there is a different school of thought that says don't do that. Because once you start thinking about the Averis, now you're back into the mud. You're once again back in the world of Averis. You're thinking about that maisa that you did. Now you're going to think about the things that you watched when you did that, my son, what you, and what you were thinking, and all those who heard him are going to come back right during the Elon Yom Kippur. He says, don't do that. 
That's the Yetzirah. The Yetzirah wants you to start thinking about your Averis, feeling bad. That way you have Herhurim again, you have Tivus again, you have, um, you know, you're back in the, in the guilt and the depression. That, those are all negative emotions. Dust yourself off and move on. This is one of the greatest lessons that we learn and we take it straight away from Parah. Power never stopped. He was always the leader that he was. And he was great in his own way. He wasn't, we don't look at him as being a Godel, obviously. He's the biggest Russia in history. But we could still take lessons from him. Take a lot of lessons from, from our enemies. Just listening to a, uh, a Hesper that was given for a Kalman Crone. It was just Nifter last week, or Pesach Krohn's brother, the very, very uh, interesting personality. And he was living in a world of truth. He lived in, in Lakewood, and he was very, very... His hashkafas were real, you know, hardcore hashkafas atayra, no garbage, always seeking the truth, never compromising with anything. He was an incredible... You have to read the stories that they say about him. Amazing. He was once in a taxi in Eretz Yisrael and he always tried to use every moment to be Makari people or to strengthen people and there was a Chiloni taxi cab driver and he was talking to him and saying, you know, you know, he says, we're, we're brothers. He wasn't trying to, you know, coerce him to do mitzvahs in Tyra, although he did that with other people. It's amazing. He had a painter in his house that was uh, not from Jew. He was hired to paint, to paint his house. It's, it's a crazy story. And um, so Rav Kalman Krohn said to him, you know, you're Jewish. He says, yeah. He said, um, did you ever learn any Torah? He says, yeah, years ago when I was a little kid in yeshiva, I learned, but then, you know, then I sort of gave it all up. And now I had a family and a wife, kids. None of them were from he wasn't from at all. He says, listen, I'm paying you, Rip Kalman Krohn says, this painter, I'm, pay- I'm paying you daily to do work for me in the house. He said, how about a half an hour a day? I'm still paying you an hourly rate, but a half an hour a day you and me learn together some, some, some Mishnayas, some Gemara. So Dan said, what are you talking about? He said, let me just do my job. Leave me alone. He says, no, 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 what do you have to lose? He says, I'm paying you. I'm paying you regardless. So instead of you having to, you know, to paint, you know, with Avayda Kasha, he says, we'll sit and learn, air-conditioned room, the two of us, you and me, we're going to learn every day, half an hour. I'm paying you to learn. You're in Kylo. So he says, okay. So he puts on a yarmulke. First day he comes to work. And he says, uh, they start learning Gemara. And he starts getting into it. Like the, the Marshaba, the, the light of Tyra started like having an you know, infectious um, feeling on this painter. And the next day he learned again, and the next day again half an hour. And eventually this painter says to, to a common crone, he says, he says, I feel that like I'm holding already by such a, a level that I, I can't see my children not being a part of this. And he, with Rav Kalman Krohn's help, he got his kids into yeshivas 
and he turned the whole family around just by learning with him. Anyway, so Kalman Krohn says to this taxi driver, he says, we're brothers. I don't know if you know that we're, we're brothers. He says, what are you talking about? He says, you're a Haredi, I'm a Chiloni, we're not brothers, we have nothing in common. He says, what are you talking about? He says, we have the same, we have the same uh, Rebbe. We're brothers, we have the same Rebbe. I'm not the same Rebbe. I don't know who your Rebbe is. I don't, I don't have a Rebbe. He says, yeah, we have the same Rebbe. He says, you know what the name of our Rebbe is? He says, who? He said, Adolf Hitler. That's the name of our Rebbe. He taught us, Adolf Hitler, Yemach Shemai B'Zichrei, taught us that we're brothers. He didn't care whether or not you wore a streimel or a black hat or no hat. He didn't care whether you were Shimer Shabbos or whether you're Shimer Jesse Kipper, or whether you're Shimer Taras Mishpacha, or whether you're Shimer absolutely nothing. It made no difference to him. He couldn't care less. If you're a Jew, you're a Jew. Period. From, not from, Hasidish, Litvish, Misnagdish, Svardish, Aska. He didn't care. Yakish, you think he cared? He, oh, this is a Hasidish, let's do this. He didn't care. As far as he was concerned, he taught us, he taught us a lesson that we're brothers. You can learn lessons from anybody. You can learn lessons from Hitler. You can learn lessons from Haman. You can learn lessons from Lavan. You can learn lessons from Paran. There's nothing wrong with it. Take what you can out of these personalities because you can learn perhaps more from them than you can from certain Rebbes. This is what I believe was the purpose of Akrish being Mitzav and Maestra Abeno after the first three, three Makis. Now you go down and see Para, he's still doing it. He never stops. No matter what happens in his life, in, in his nation's life, he still remains Para. He's still the proud leader of his people, optimistic, no Yish, no signs of sweating, no signs of fear, no signs of. Of, of questionings, of doubts. He stays strong, resolute. That's what I want you to be. Take a lesson from Paray and learn how to be strong and resilient. No Yish, no Vayibrach Paray. Never run away, never give up, not on yourself, not on your people. Believe in them, believe in yourself, believe in me, and that's how you will attain your greatness. You can learn so much from the enemy, more than you can from your friend. This is the one of the many lessons of this week's parsha that we have so much to live for, so much to be optimistic about. We have to stay strong and optimistic and learn from the enemy how they never stop. They never stop. They go back and they keep fighting the, the fight. And that's how we have to be. The second that we stop, the second we slow down, the second that we let our fears get to us, that's the day that it's over. Chilas, nefila, nisa. You run away, you lost. Never ever run away. Never back down. Just keep going. Be strong. If you have an occasional stumbling, a fall, a taiva, a yetzahara that got the best of you, okay, so you lost that battle. Dust yourself off and get back into the war. You'll lose some battles, you'll win other battles, but you could still win the war 
if you stay positive, you stay optimistic, you stay hopeful, and you stay away from getting into that rut of feeling, I can't. My daughter showed me a, a good uh, hiskam, a good uh, quote. It's not a Jewish quote, so I don't know if it's going to appear in a book, but nothing is impossible. Even the word impossible says, I'm possible. Nothing's impossible. Anything is possible. You just have to stay strong. You have to stay focused, stay confident in your own abilities, and you can do anything that you want. The day that you stop having that self-confidence, and you start questioning yourself, you start having those feelings of yish, that's the worst Aveira in the world. The Rebbe say, Yish Shalaimidas, the famous sugya in Elam Etzias, Yish is Shalaimidas. If a person has Yish, that means that he, he, he's insane. The act of Yish is the, is the greatest form of insanity that a human being can have. Because if you're alive, there's hope and you can do whatever you want. You can be as from as you want, you can be as successful as you want. You could be as accomplished as you want. There's only one person standing in your way, and that's you if you're not confident. Para was always confident till the end, till Ninbe. He never stopped. We could be that way also. With as many makas as we might have in our life, with the dam, the tzvardeya, the kinim, all of the makas that we have, the financial problems and the mental problems and the social problems, and the school problems, and the family problems, and the shidduch problems. All these problems that plague people and a thousand others, they are real problems, but they're no less real than the Damsvardeh in him. And that did not stop power. He went up every single day and he went down to the R to continue this confidence that he had that he was godly. To make sure that the people never see him being anything less than the king. This is a tremendous yisayid that Amitz Hashem we should take into our personal lives to continue to be strong. Don't give up. Don't give in. It's the easiest thing to throw in the towel, but it's the absolute biggest avera that you could do to yourself and to the Rabbi Nishan. Have a wonderful Shabbos.